The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So much football from the weekend to talk to Mark Lawrence and Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer with The Independent about. But let's start with the quality of refereeing and the use of VAR. Mark, it's becoming a bit of a joke, isn't it? The goal that West Ham had disallowed, Newcastle not getting a goal against Crystal Palace. And I would argue, you know, Leeds having a quite clear penalty, a clearer penalty not given to them, not even reviewed, than the one that was given against them against Brentford. I mean, it's not VAR, is it? This is human error. That's the problem. Human error, Matt. And um, it, it's become an embarrassment. I think I think the worst of all the decisions was the Chelsea decision, which, you know, any, anybody who's ever played the game at any single level will look at that and go, what? Um, Just describe it for those, is, who, those who didn't see it, Mark. Can you describe what happened? Well, so... So the ball came off the Chelsea goalkeeper, Mendy, and obviously your man's gone in to play it. And ball has decided, gone in to play it. Yeah. And, they, and, they've, and somebody upstairs, at so many looks, at it, decided that it, it's a foul. So Sorry, would Mendy, it be the case, would it, Mark, would it be right to say that sort of Mendy's momentum carried him into Bowen? Yes. So yes, Bowen's leg did hit Mendy, but only because Mendy's momentum carried him forward. Matt, so effectively, Matt. Bowen is being blamed for being actually hit by the goalkeeper and the free is given to the goalkeeper. He can't get out of the way. Gerard Bowen cannot get out of the way. And... To actually sit there in VR and decide that, you know what, that's actually a foul. Honestly, I, th- I think we've all looked at that. And obviously, there's, there's been a little bit of an inquiry into all those kind of decisions. But seriously, seriously, that is a new low of all those in that decision, certainly. OK, a listener says Coutinho's disallowed goal against City too. Well, that was dreadful. That was different circumstances. Yeah. And we'll get to that in a moment. Miguel, though, it does strike me that a lot of times this season I've seen players, sort of the ones who I would have thought were guilty of the foul, been given the foul in their favour quite ridiculously. Yeah, uh, and the one thing, I mean, I would say the statements that were put out, or sorry, the, the information that was put out yesterday that the Premier League with PGMOL will review the decisions in particular at Chelsea and Newcastle, as they put it, as a priority, would indicate an admission that they um, that both were wrong. I think that, that that's very much an acceptance. And, and, and it does illustrate issues to solve. I must say, though, I'm increasingly coming at this from the other angle. A lot, I think we talk about referees far too much. I think we're at a point where, and this is what strikes me about a lot of it, particularly from managers, and some players and fans where they don't want better refereeing. They want, re- they want decisions to go their way. Like the kind of hypocrisy of it all was actually summed up after the West Ham. I was in, I was in the press conference room at Stamford Bridge. And um, Moyes, had, so justifiably, of course, had gone on a pretty much a 15-minute rant about the problem of the situation. And then it was put to him by Matt Law at the Telegraph saying, would you mind if your own players did that? Now, you, don't, you can pretty much look at any match in history including West Ham. They said, of course, players will try it. And Moyes' response was, I find that an insult and disrespect. Earlier on, Tuchel had been asked, um, you know, given that you got away with one today, does this not just illustrate that even with VAR, given given that it still involves human error under pressure, some will go for you, some will go against you. And Tuchel just doubled down and starts going on about the, uh, 
<laughs> the result against Spurs, the decision against Spurs. And I, what it does is, is it reminds me of 20 years ago in Spain, where the front pages, of, I mean, they could be watching some great game between Ronaldo and Casillas or whoever, and the front pages of Mark or whatever were kind of dominated by people drawing lines on pages to try and make arguments about offside lines. And even yesterday with Brighton, Brighton beat 5-2, and the big talking point is, Brent, is Brendan Rodgers and his future. And yeah, it felt like pundits were spending more time talking about a disallowed goal. Yeah, but hold on. But really in that saying, I mean, it was a brilliant goal by McAllister, which was ruled out after four and a half minutes of examination. Now, I thought it was supposed to be clear and obvious. If you can't tell that it's offside after a minute, surely time is up. I mean, it's the same, and I'm sort of using the argument, now Leeds had a disaster at Brentford, and Diego Llorente was like Bambi on ice at the back. He was so bad. But Brentford got a penalty, which it took over three minutes for the referee to decide, but actually, yeah, it is a penalty. And I don't know how it was clear and obvious. And then there was a refusal to go to VAR when it was quite clear that the Brentford player, Hickey, had pulled back the shirt of Somerville as he went into the area and then put his arm on his shoulder to pull him down. And no wonder Jesse Marsh, who probably needs to calm himself down on the sideline, ended up getting sent off for it. But in response to that, I mean... One of the big issues with VAR was that people didn't want it to intervene that much, which means you have to accept a certain amount of ebb and flow. And I accept the point about time. But then why was VAR introduced in the first place? It was introduced because so many people around football were so irritated by refereeing the error and were so, so irritated that so much was left to subjective interpretation. People, people again, basically couldn't handle big decisions that went, went against them. That's why we are where we are now. It's all a consequence of that. Yet we're still seeing the same problems because it, it does come down to the fact that I mean, perfect. Obviously, we should strive for perfection, but it's pretty much unattainable. I would argue that despite these big issues, VAR has actually improved accuracy. It's but it's not going to be one hundred percent perfect. No, it's gone. And then, of course, because there, there is a bigger discussion to be had here. Who would actually want to be a ref these days? And we, we've seen the story with say oh, Ross, yeah. with Ross, with Ross Common. Well, I mean, people talk about quality and refereeing. But what? What? I mean, to, to even get to be a top referee, the amount of levels you go through. Whereas. It's an absolute epidemic in terms of aggression towards referees lower down. And all this comes from a culture at the top. And I, 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 do, I do think a, sh- a shift in the conversation is warranted. OK, then, of course, the other point is, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Mark, but I think the problem with Coutinho's goal, brilliant goal for Villa against Manchester City, was that the linesman didn't actually wait to let VAR decide. He put up his flag yeah. incorrectly too soon. Yeah, listen, Matt, I, I think generally with the, with, the, with the whole thing is is the interpretation. And I really do believe that when VAR look at these, they should look at these in, in real time. Because once, once you slow it down, it looks completely different. It's like lots of tackles that we see and they, they look really, really bad. But in, in real time, aren't quite so bad. I, I, think, I think that is the issue. It's kind of... There's this desperation to get absolutely everything right, 100%. But just look at it once or twice in real time and make your decision. And I can understand this great thing about, you know, well, what do the referees know? They've never played a game and all those kind of things. And I think somewhere in between is where we should be. Okay, Mark, Liverpool. I mean, okay, brilliant Mm -hmm. goalkeeping by Jordan Pickford the other day. Couple of good saves at the other end by Allison as well, mm-hmm. but Liverpool are really starting to look as if they're struggling, aren't they? Yeah, they're not right. They're not right, Matt. They're really seriously on. Um, we we spoke before about the fact that uh, the first few games as well, they weren't they weren't there. 
Um, they've got one or two players coming back. It's, you know, I said to you on, I think it was last, last Friday, which was the fact that they've come back early, they've done loads of training, they've, they've had loads of injuries, and they just, if you look at Van Dijk, does Van Dijk look a world-class player? Arguably not at the moment. Does Gomez Salah? Alongside him. Salah, and it looks like Salah, Salah signed his contract and he's gone, you know, thanks very much indeed. Look, it, it will turn round. I think the only problem is from Liverpool's point of view is I don't think it will turn around in time enough to the fact that Manchester City will be many, many points clear of Liverpool. Now, Miguel, I think we anticipated it on Friday evening as a possibility that Arsenal, having started with five wins in a row, <laughs> that it was against middle-of-the-table opposition and lower-table largely, and when they went to play a bigger team like a Manchester United, they'd falter, and yes, they did. And uh, dealt with, with the usual good grace of Mikel Arteta as well. I mean, it wasn't just vintage Arsenal, that says, but actually a vintage Manchester United-Arsenal game. And it feels like we've actually seen that one so many times, particularly around kind of... 2004 to 2012 between Ferguson and Wenger where United would basically would sit back and catch them on the break. Now, to be fair, United didn't start like that. They were a bit more expansive at the start. But Arsenal soon... Um, and this is, this is going to sound quite an amazing thing to say. But I actually thought Arsenal's general play was quite good in terms of how they used the ball, how they dominated the game, basically until it came to finishing and defending. Two pretty important parts of the game, admittedly. Yes. <laughs> but... <laughs> But United had a canniness in that regard that Arsenal didn't. And then, Mark, what about Manchester United? Two players in particular I want to pick out. Christian Eriksen, who now seems to be justifying apparently a deal that's worth over 40 million quid to him personally for the time he's going to be there. But also the return to form, albeit maybe tentatively, of Marcus Rashford now that he's back at centre forward rather than was stuck out in the wing. Well, you know... Straight away, Matt, if, if, if you play through the middle of the team, you're always going to get opportunities from the left and the right. If you play on the left, you're always you're going to come in and sort of join in so you, so you have those possibilities. I think everybody knows Ericsson is a really, really proper player, gets his head up, he sees things, everything. And if you put him in a position where he's always in the middle of the game, he, he will make opportunities for you. Absolutely no doubt about it. And... I know Brentford wanted to keep him, etc. But he's just—he's just a player who's got this vision, which a lot of players in this division don't particularly have. Um, it's great for Rashford because he's done many, many good things, and yet he's looked at over the last kind of eighteen months. You've looked at him, thought, "Is he really interested in football? Has he lost his love for it?" But when he when he plays through the middle, because of his pace and his directness, he, he is—he is an outstanding player. And I just got the impression, Miguel, a little bit of luck starting to go his way as well. Sort of balls bouncing the right way from that in the last 18 months they haven't. Yeah, I mean, and probably some of that, I suppose, comes down to how they're... I mean, what's something they always say about luck in that regard is so just control what you, can, what you can control, then it'll take care of itself. And that seems to be what he's actually done in the last few games. Now, in the, in the first two, that, that Brentford one that I was at, he obviously, it was as if he was trying to get... A, the team to play a game plan they didn't fully get yet and hence we're making the most elementary of errors particularly for that second goal they conceded against Brentford whereas now he's cut that out he's kind of it, it, it's a I think it's a bit more um of a of a, of a routine set or more rudim, sorry more rudimentary setup especially with De Gea the amount of times he's kicking it long rather than looking to play football he's also obviously completely changed the defense I mean if you consider it the old Solskjaer defense of Juan Bissaka, Lindelof, Maguire and Shaw have been completely replaced 
and Martinez, for all the talk about his um, his height, he's he's winning so much. He also gives the team a real edge, and and that's part of it now. They're, they're, even when you see the United players now going in, I mean, whatever about the uh, the decision that led to uh, Martinelli's goal being ruled out. If we want, if we want to go back to refs, but for the most part, they, there's a real conviction about United. Now. They're, they're, particularly in players like Martinez, even the challenges they're winning, they're, they're not a pushover in that regard in the way they were in the first two games of the season. No, a pushover at the moment seemed to be Leicester City. We spoke, Mark, on Friday evening about Brendan Rodgers. It looks mm-hmm. like it's a crisis club because the finances of Leicester look to be in an absolute mess as well. Now we see where they got rid of cash for Schmeichel. Apparently he was on 180 grand a week. They couldn't afford it. They're lose, they've lost about 120 million over the last three years. Worse to come, apparently. Um, yeah. It seems that maybe the only thing that might save Brendan Rodgers, apparently, would cost tens of millions to pay him off. Yeah, and I think the other question then is, where would you go? If he said to Brendan Rodgers, thank you, but no, thank you, where would you go? And it's obviously um, a club in crisis. And we spoke about, you know, not just the fact that the training ground, but they've also built a golf course on the training ground. And you think, what on earth is all that about? Matt, football will always be about players. It's not anything to do with anything else generally. It's all about the quality of the players, etc. Obviously, Vardy was substituted at the weekend. But you, you look at them, and you look at what they've got, and for all for all the time they won the league, which was absolutely brilliant. This year, nobody would be nobody would say, actually say to them they're not going to go down. And you look at Brendan at the moment, and without saying the fact that you know the club aren't backing me, he's saying the club aren't backing me, which is a real problem. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much for being with us, Mark Lawrenson and Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer of The Independent. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.